Welcome to Growing Up Fire with Jamie Coots. Seahawk, it is our commitment to you that you have complete access to the top professionals, industry experts, and products for your fire service. We stand by the service and products we provide. We are proud of our past, and we are constantly listening to our customers and exploring new ways to bring better options to the fire service. This is Seahawk. High level, safety, service, security. Please visit our website at www.seahawkservice.ca or give us a call at 1-888-791-4210. Welcome to Growing Up Fire, Season 2, Episode 3. I got Drew Thunder with me here. We're at the Lake of the Sand Hills Golf Course in beautiful Buffalo Point First Nation on Lake of the Woods, Manitoba. How's it going, man? Not too bad. Thanks for having me, Jamie. <laughs> you don't really mean that. No one ever really means that. But that's okay. It's all good. I wanted to get you on here because you're one of those guys that uh, I immediately start to look up to in the fire service. You're a counselor out here. You're the fire chief out here. You're the superintendent of the golf course that's going on out here. You're a dad to three kids. You're the husband to one of the busiest wives I've ever seen. And you're going to fit this all in somehow. And you're what, 30 years old? 33. 33 years old. <laughs> no problem. No problem. All right. There's a few hats that you got to wear. Just juggle a little bit. Just juggle a little bit. So since I've got here, I've found you as the emergency contact in the cabin rental book. I've seen the mechanic come and talk to you. I've seen the people at the front desk of the golf course come and talk to you. I've seen how everybody from the community is looking for all this information from you. And yet, you're also going to take time out and be the fire chief. So to me, it's just like, I can't believe it, right? And yet, across the country, I find guys like you that are, are stretched so thin, you're see-through, but you're still going to try and put time in with the fire service. So for everyone, so they know what's going on, we're out here trying to help you work on the fire service, right? So the community has decided to reinvest more time and effort into the fire service and kind of build it up a little bit. And... Uh, we got to come out here, I think it was last year, and uh, do some different assessments and work with you. And now we're back kind of working on some of those assessments. And so I think I got to know, how did you get into this? How, how did Fire Chief become one of your hats? One of those things that just kind of got thrown at me and someone needed to do it. And we just find somebody to, to take on responsibilities. And uh, just one of those things that I took an interest to, loving the outdoors and everything about it. Buff Point's my home and I uh, just want to make it, you know, safe and, and uh, friendly for everybody that, that wants to be out here. Yeah. So it's so cool. I mean, you look at it and you've got uh, cottages, you've got, uh, you know, rental areas that uh, people rent out, whether it's uh, campers, I think there's 200 and some campers out here, the big marina, the golf course, right? You've got all the First Nation homes and the buildings that go with that. And so it's such a diverse community, all the different things to look at, all the different things that can threaten it. It's smack dab in the forest, which is unusual here in southern Manitoba, right? As we drive to get here, I'm, I'm in like one of the worst snowstorms that I've ever been in. And it's blowing for hundreds of kilometers through these fields without anything stopping it. And we get down to this little slice of paradise and you're smack dab in the middle of the trees. 
And so when we start talking about that, how do you feel about being smack dab in the middle of the trees? Yeah, it's got its uh, unique advantages and disadvantages. Being uh, right on like the woods, being very large body of water, um, throws a wrench into a lot of things we do out here with, with the way the weather can cooperate or, or not. We see a lot of high winds and a lot of rainstorms that either split around us and leave us high and dry or sit on us and pour for days on end. So, yeah, there's a lot of unique uh, things out here that we have to deal with. Um, you know, so when you look at that stuff as a fire chief, right, I guess I should add right now, until someone takes it from you, the title of director of emergency management's hovering around your head right now. You haven't put the hat on, but it's out there as well. And so, you know, you look at all this stuff, you know, since we've been here, it's been plus 10. It's been 100K winds coming off the lake, driving snow basically almost through the windows. It's been drifts all over, then melted, Right. And so I, I've seen the weather patterns that you're talking about and, uh, you know, the stress that comes with all of those things. The night we got here, I think you were cutting trees off the road that had blown over and trying to worry about, you know, is the hydro still on and is everybody still going? So when you look at the weather and you look at the location, the location is that next whole level for me. The biggest city that's close by is Steinbach, Manitoba. I don't know how many kilometers away that is, hundred and some kilometers away. Then you've got all these small communities on the way from Steinbeck to here, hardly bigger than your own and tough to get much help from. So does that remoteness, does that ever play any effect to you? Do you ever feel like you're pretty far away and you got to have everything lined up to make sure you can meet the challenge? On a daily basis, yeah. Southeast Manitoba is just uh, very sparse and, and thinned out for resources and we try using what we can nearby. But uh, a lot of times, yeah, it's, it's coming from a little ways away. And uh, we always see that, whether it's through costs of delivery services or time frames of getting stuff done, emergencies, and responding to things, and then throw on the, the border being five minutes away from us and into Minnesota, it's pretty tough to be able to handle and, and get some stuff across the border too. Right. So the border is a cool part to this whole story. First time we ever came to Buffalo Point, we're follow this highway, follow it, follow it, follow it. We said, we got to be there soon because we're running out of road. And we literally get to your turnoff and like less than half a kilometer away is the border control point going into Minnesota. Right. And so, you know, we look at that and uh, constantly talk about a, a war road, the, the next town over. And we haven't been there yet because of COVID. COVID stopped us from crossing the border. But then you start to look at the lake and the lake is just this amazing, it looks like a jigsaw puzzle, right? Some of it's Ontario, some of it's Manitoba, some of it's Minnesota, and you've got all these communities around the lake. But when you go out on the lake, there's no physical borders to cross. And so, you know, we started talking about doing water and ice rescue. We started talking about wildfires and who you'll get help from. Where does an ambulance come from? Where do your kids go to school? All of these different pieces. And there's kind of, you know, from your childhood, the things you remember, pre-COVID, the things you remember, COVID times, and then the wonder of what will that border look like after we're done. So for you, you went to school in War, War Road. Yep. So I was born in Roseau, Minnesota. Most people around here were. Luckily that the, the hospital there and Manitoba have an agreement where the bordering town can utilize some of those services. So 
most of us were born there. And then growing up, uh, Buffalo Point as a First Nation and World School Division also had an agreement where we could look at sending some of our, our band members to school for education there as they've got a larger population, bigger school, a lot of academics and sports to play versus going to Sprague, the nearby neighbor town in Manitoba, which is both the same distance but very small school, multiple ages uh, in, the, in the same classroom, um, limited on sports. So we found growing up the border really, it was there, but traveling back and forth was no big deal for us. We did it on a daily basis. And then, yeah, as years went on and 9-11 came through, the border tightened up a little bit. And now COVID, it, it's really changed a way of thinking of what we can do for personal life and businesses. Yeah, so for sure, what used to be like a five-minute kind of interruption in your travel could turn into, well, you can't cross or it's going to take a long time or you have to get an expensive test to come back. or So it just took away a lot of those resources, I guess, that you're used to working with, right? Even the ambulance, you know, an ambulance coming from 45 minutes away versus 10 minutes away. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was huge being able to have that. And, you know, there's a lot of family and friends and stuff that I've five minutes away you know, I could be there in no time, but I haven't crossed the border in over 20 months, right? And that's something that, that affected a, a daily life, like on the daily versus, you know. Sure, it's not a TV show. It was, no. it was real life for you guys. Yeah, right? yeah. So everything you get and all the people that you know and everybody's spread out all over the place. And So growing up fire, right? It's a story about fire departments and firefighters. Uh, and so you and I were just talking a little bit before about uh, your family and, and the different people that have been on the fire department. So what, run us through that a little bit. Basically, Buffalo Point, anything that's happened out here has been done in the last 40 years. Started with my grandfather and then uh, worked it with his sons and, and daughters and kind of grew it to what it is today. So along with the fire was, you know, my father and two of my uncles that were big into taking on the fire department is with what we had for resources. And then as time went on, everybody got kind of busier. The the one hat that kind of was dropped was the, the fire department and keeping that going. So I remember I was about 16 and I just, before we had 911 service available to Buffalo Point, just got a phone call at home early in the morning saying we have a house fire. I just happened to take my truck, just go straight there, not even part of a fire department, and got to see our fire truck actually leave the station for once in operation. And at that time, had War Road Fire Department come across the border and help us out with it. And that was my first real time of seeing anything. And then realizing, you know, there's a lot of cottages around here, neighboring family and everything. So uh started the spark in me to, to kind of, take on that leadership and responsibility to to hopefully, you know, be able to, to handle anything that comes our way um, in a unique place, right? It's carved out of the woods. It's it's a special place to me, right? So you want to take care of it and, and hopefully uh, advance it and give it on to somebody else that can kind of take it on and I can just be there to help out. Just so you know, it's a special place to me too. I think it's a special place to all the people that live out here. When you come here, you're not expecting what you see, what you find. And so, you know, you, you got everything from a little cabin on the lake to, you know, a big house that someone lives in year round. You know, you've got the all the big buildings that go with having a golf course and, and running the, the nation here as well. And so to me, when I 
first pulled in, I was, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that this was carved out of the woods, surrounded on two sides by water, right? Another side by swamp, what's called swamp, as the, the main road in and out is surrounded by swamp. And then you've got other hazards. So you've got the, the main line going into the States for the rail goes right through here. And I think I heard you one time tell me that up to 20 trains a day can go through there. So as you come and go, we'd never seen the train. The other day we went to go to Steinbeck and here's this train. So we stopped. I don't know how many minutes it was or how many cars went by, but it was a no nonsense grain train. Like it was probably 120 cars or, and that was empty, right? Coming from the States back up. And uh, because you only have that one way in and one way out, how does that feel? Like you're the fire chief and you, you got to deal with this massive train going up and down. Sometimes it's got oil, sometimes it's got chemicals, sometimes it's got wood or grain or whatever. How does that feel being in your back door? Yeah, that's one of the, the biggest challenges that I see to kind of worry about in event of evacuations. I've heard it growing up from my grandfather, my dad, aunts, uncles, everybody. It is a concern that that's our only way out of here. In event of an emergency and that train is derailed or blocking us, yeah, the next thing we can do is go back to the lake and hopefully there's enough ice that we can cross on you know the lake to the other side with machines or open water and uh, we can get enough boats together to cross right but ice in and ice out is is kind of a scary time for us and then yeah you throw that that train that could potentially close us down for a long extended period of time or even if just need an ambulance out here they're stuck on the other side like it uh We've, we've mentioned it, and it's a big concern, and we'd like something to be done, obviously, um, preventatively, before we have to wait for something major to occur, right? So we just, yeah, to this day, that's probably the biggest thing that I hope to tackle and, and see. There's more answers that I can give other people. Acres Emergency Vehicles, a message from our community. A person who is risking his or her life to save the lives and properties of others deserves something as reliable as an Acres emergency vehicle. This is our mission, to thank these people with the best gift we can, our best effort. Our commitment includes a firefighter-driven design, manufacturing integrity, personal and professional service. We are here to serve. We guarantee personal and professional service every step of the way. Acres emergency vehicles, built for a life of service. Please visit our website at www.acresev.ca. It's kind of crazy. In 2015, in the Slave Lake District where I was then, we had eight derailments. And uh, there where we live, the one blocked, say, five and a half out of six of the approaches kind of right through town. But you just go a mile either direction, and there's another crossing, another crossing. You don't have that here. So I could see the worry. I could see the last year a couple of train wrecks right by Humboldt there and the fire department's out there actioning those things and you see the size and the complexity of what's going on to have that in your backyard is a is a scary piece to this puzzle and so you know there's that then there's the other side the water and so Ben was with me at the cottage while we were here and and I was we were talking about the lake and he said oh well it'll be the bay will be frozen over in like a week and I was laughing. I'm like, come on, man. There's a little bit of slush here and there. Like, it's not going to be. And then that night it was minus 18 and the wind came up to like 100K for overnight. We woke up in the morning and the bay was basically iced over. And so it really shows you that lake effect. 
how the weather impacts the lake, how the weather impacts the drifting and the snow and, and the temperatures and, and the ice in and the ice out. When we first got here, I thought, man, we should be out on a boat touring around looking at all this stuff instead of looking at it on Google Maps. Fast forward a week and the bay's frozen over and we're <laughs> we're getting close to winter. But now you won't be able to go out on that ice for still months, maybe. At this time of the, the year, the way the weather's kind of going, it's probably going to be end of December before there's probably enough safe ice to at least get out ice fishing. That's not saying you can just cross the lake and head up to the next uh, next chunk of land that's got a a road to get out of here, right? Like that's that's over 10 miles away across a open body of water. One, even when you can, then it depends on the snow load, right? We've seen quite a few vehicles out here with big tracks, obviously, that the snow load and the drifts can be incredible. The ice heaves can be incredible. And so, you know, as you start to look at all of these different pieces that impact you as a fire chief, as a counselor, as the director of emergency management, or the person that's taking care of that today, and as a father, trying to make sure, you know, how am I going to move everybody around? I could see where you don't want to think about it too much. <laughs> I could even see her face right now while we talk about it going, yeah, maybe we're almost talking about this too much because yeah. <laughs> it really starts to make you think about all the things that have to get done, right? And so I get that. So in your family, been people that have had to do it before you. There's people doing it with you. Your cousin Matt's on the fire department with you now. One of your sisters used to be on the fire department with you. And I love that. And you talked about when you were 16 and you said, you know, you went and you got to see what was going on there. As you started with the fire department and started doing your training, what was that like at the start? It was just a bunch of guys and girls kind of getting together to take on some responsibilities that wasn't there, right? We didn't have any structure. There's there's a fire truck in a fire hall with old turnout gear and some basic stuff on the truck, not knowing how to operate it, right? So basically had to get the public works guys to, to kind of make sure that we knew how to use the, the fire truck as they used it for you know, some of the work that they had to do and just slowly kind of chip away at trying to find some training and some resources and uh, realizing we're, we're missing a lot of key parts of a fire department. And uh, in order to keep going and move to the next level, we need to, to. Yeah. So you're kind of going through that whole process right now, right now over the last year. Right. And so uh, I'm almost scared to hear this because I'll probably be the worst part of this, but <laughs> as you're kind of reinvesting reinvigorating your fire department what's kind of been the best parts of working on that and what's been the hardest parts to swallow that was a big sigh that always recorded that, that might have been one of the biggest sighs on the show so far so i think like today we were looking at some of the pictures the first time we ever came out here of the truck and how things were organized and and uh, we were talking about that and you're like man you got to see it after i cleaned it up you should have saw it before how it yeah. right and and to me like that's a really good example in the fire service how you might go to one fire hall and they do truck checks every week and everything's where it's supposed to be and everything's, you might go to another one and they only practice once a month. And so, you know, things kind of get forgotten or we'll show up at a fire hall and, Hey, we just had a house fire two days ago and we haven't been back for practice since and the trucks tipped upside down. And so for me, what I always love is when you see it kind of go from maybe not so organized, not so clean to cleaned up, organized, everything where it's supposed to go. Do you like that process? Have you been enjoying like kind of being part of this goes there and that goes here and upgrading the equipment and changing the way it goes on the truck? For sure. I mean, that, like I said, that fire hall was basically just a storage unit for anybody and everybody, public works to store stuff in there. And I mean, you got to see it. It was, it was pretty bad, right? But that's because it wasn't really an active fire department. Um, there's been the odd person living in there because they just needed a little extra room or something. So yeah, now it's at least 
on the right track to making operational and we can train out of it. We can do a few of these things, but it's obviously it's a slow process. And yet I, sometimes I just see things needing to get done faster than, than realistically can be done. But at the same time, the ones doing most of that work are filled with other things they're doing, right? So you mean like you, they got a yeah. whole, whole closet full of hats. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There, there's a, a few of us out here doing a lot of work, right? I mean, staff in Buffalo can range from 80 people or so in the summertime down to, you know, like 30 in the winter. So it, it fluctuates with staff and then qualified staff to find. And unfortunately, within the community, trying to find enough personnel to even join the fire department that wants to be heavily involved with it. It's going to be a lot of a lot of employees and a mixed bag of younger and older bodies that are capable. Some have some background experience and some of that stuff, and others are just there because it's part of their community now, right? And they just want to take that on. So it's always been a big struggle there is, is starting basically from, from nothing, right, and having to build it. And then some of the the, the highlights, you'd say, or, or things that I've really enjoyed was yeah just be able to to be hands-on and and get to know another piece of equipment big advocate for learning everything possible and be able to jump in and do it anywhere right and hopefully it carries on in the future and be able to continue you know there's so many fire departments out there they're struggling maybe they're underfunded maybe they can't find enough people you know recruitment and retention's a problem you know their truck's getting old whatever what advice would you give them, you know, what advice did you maybe get at the start to say, how do you take that first step? How do you, like, we're going to start reinvesting, we're going to start rejuvenating this fire service. You know, what, what advice would you give them now that you've got a year under your belt and you're starting to roll? Ask Jamie or somebody that's been in in the past. Do it. No. <laughs> yeah, you just, just don't stop. You know, once you get that ball rolling, keep going with it and, and pushing, like I said, don't be afraid to ask questions and look for... I really think that that's the problem. I think taking that first step, yeah. not knowing what that first step is. Like, you know, for you, it sounds like it was as simple as going down there and start to go through the truck and clean up some of the stuff and uh, kind of inventory where you're at and start to think about where you have to go. And then along that line, there's all kinds of different people that have helped you, all kinds of different companies that have come in to help you, organizations, Right. Where they send people and say, well, do this and do that. And that's great. I mean, you always got to get some kind of person to come and help you that maybe knows uh, something different or more than, you know. But to get that courage to say, hey, this isn't perfect, but we want to move forward. I think that that's what holds people back. For sure. And I think just meeting a few people that have some some acknowledgement that that the fire department is something that is important to the community. Um, they, they're going to start relying on us on a lot of things besides just, you know, a little fire, structure fire, whatever. That we've, you made mention of earlier that there's potential for water and ice rescue. There's wildfires coming through, anything like that, the, the train derailment, something that, that there's so many different uh, aspects to look at than just a small little fire department that, yeah, we need to really kind of step back reassess what was important to us and, and then realize that we're not here just to support the the band members on reserve. We're not here to only support the the community members that have cottages and stuff all year, but we're also, you know, year-round resort that we see a lot of daily and, and nightly people coming through for golf, fishing, camping, everything. And when they're coming out here, they, they might be coming from the city or somewhere else. So having them feel safe out here is, is kind of a big key part of it. So. 
and that uh, that resort part of it, the camping, the cottaging, the out on the lake, the, it, it's always the part in the fire service that uh, you really see the fire departments that cover those areas struggle. And I say that for a reason is that when I'm going away to camp for the weekend, I'm not worried about the weather, right? I just, sun or not. I don't care if a big storm's coming through. I, I'm not watching to see what lightning's going to do. I don't care what the wildfire threat is. I want to camp. I want to have my fire. I want to get out on the lake. I want to ride my bike. I want to go quadding. I want to do all the things I want to do. I don't really care about all the other stuff. Whereas the nation, the fire service, you have to think of, are we putting a fire ban on or not? What am I going to do when I got 150 people out golfing and a lightning storm comes through? What am I going to do if I have to get everyone out of here and the train's blocking the tracks, right? And so all of those pieces, I really feel like in the fire service that I can't really enjoy my life the same way I used to. The more I know, the more I know, you know what I'm saying? And so now I wouldn't just go camping and worry about that. I would go camping and think, well, where would I get an ambulance from if someone got hurt? Who would I call if something happened in a fire? That's because I'm a fireman and we get a bit broken that way. But the people that are coming out here are just coming to have a good time, right? So you add, we're just going out to have a good time. You add a little bit of booze or whatever else happens. And all of a sudden, the fire department ends up with the trouble, right? Well, us and the security folks. And so when you look at those resort pieces, it's really hard to, what do I plan? Do I plan on being out doing a water rescue? No, but I might have to. Do I plan on going to do an ice rescue in the wintertime because somebody's stuck out there and they're ice fishing or their truck went through or, or they're side by side or whatever? And what am I going to do to help them, right? Then you switch back to summer where we have the wildfire threat, the grass fire threat in the, in the springtime. And all of those things fall onto the fire department. So I could just tell I'm scaring you more and more as I talk about this stuff. But I've been, let's face it, I've been wrecking your uh, peaceful sleep for a week now or, or more anyway. So It's one of those things where it's got to be done. Someone's got to do it. I never leave, really. So until I start taking time off and planning stuff, I'm here, right? So I get a call. It's just, we got to figure it out, right? Because if we're not going to do it, who is? And so a lot of things just get left on to Buff Point's shoulders. And I'm fortunate enough to to have quite a few key personnel in place that are already that that understands the same thing they see the same the, the goal and they they'll do whatever it takes to keep buffalo point going and everybody safe out here so we've, we've always managed to make it work right and and now it's just time to make it work a little bit easier and and find the right avenues that we need to to be going down then hopefully i can maybe take some time off and get out of here or whatever. You got that hat in your closet, yeah. the vacation hat? Yeah. I can't wait to see that one. That one turns on backwards. Yeah. <laughs> it gets ugly. You kind of said it though, right? It's the fire department marching song. If we're not going to do it, who will? And so you got to, I love it. You're stepping up to it. You're tackling it. And you got, like you say, you're starting to build a team and that's all good stuff. But this is a small community and you do have limited ability to. So when towns with five, six, 7,000 cities with 20, 25,000 are having trouble recruiting people to come into the fire service, that's just going to be magnified here because there's less people to, to deal with. So I think you told me there could be up to 2,000 people here in a, on a nice summer long weekend and then as few as 100 in the wintertime. And so when you think about that, how are you going to tackle recruitment? How are you going to handle retention here? I haven't really came across it right now. As Like I said, we're starting kind of what we have right now. I think we've got eight active fire department uh, crew that 
is here, uh, invested to the community, and uh, there's a few you know, potentials coming through. But yeah, when we actually look at, at full scale stuff, uh, I haven't even had to go to, to look for, for any help, right? It's always been there, and, and these are the same ones that volunteer for anything else that goes on in the community. And I think, uh, you know, one of the answers might lie in the, the young fellow that I met at your place the other day when I stopped in, and, and I think he said he was 16 maybe. And uh, the whole talk about a junior fire program, future firefighter program, and all of those things, being able to maybe draw in your own son and some of his friends, some of the people that work for you at the golf course, this young guy that, that works out here, and kind of hope to train him up over the next couple of years and get him to stay <laughs> as well, regular members, right? For sure. I mean, that's exactly it. Like looking at uh, what we have and up and coming and basically finding something that they're they're interested in and, and getting the fire lit in them and hopefully they'll take on uh, some of that responsibility down the road and just have an interest in it right so so the biggest changes always bring busier times right and so i just want to talk a little bit about we've talked a lot about what it looks like here what it could look like and so let's start to talk about the hopes the dreams and the fears right you know what does that look like what is five years from now what are your hopes what are your dreams with the fire department, obviously, I'd like to see us moving towards a lot more training that can back up the need for some of the emergencies that we potentially see out here, obviously. Upgrading that, the fire hall, the equipment that we have, the trucks, and, and seeing some of that uh, fancy equipment get put to use uh, a little bit more. What about for the rest of it? I mean, the community, the, the resort? We're, we're maxing ourselves out in the summertime with some of our accommodations and things. But there's always room for improvement and uh, more development down down the road, hopefully. We're just kind of building on what we have and, and kind of continue with my, my grandpa's vision of the resort and everything and then my father's vision and seeing where that goes, just kind of maximizing everything as, as we can see and then make as much you know, headway as possible. It's kind of been a cool part of the journey, reading the books, right? I mean, they both have incredible vision, right? Uh, you, you know, you look at some of the drawings, the renderings that have been done, what could be built, and it's exciting. It's cool. You could see it here. Like, when I drive around, I can I can feel the excitement. I can see the stuff. And then on the other side of that coin, I can also see the challenge to the fire service, the challenge to the community, finding enough good people to do everything and to have, you know, all of this go on. And then, you know, you also have that piece where when you run a fire service, let's just pick uh, downtown Toronto. They got the busiest engine in the entire country, 2020. And uh, it's no, it's not hard to find firefighters, right? They're going on 30, 40 calls every shift and they're busy and it's exciting. And in the reverse here, we're going to have 15, 20 calls a year. And so it's harder to keep up the recruitment. It's harder to keep up the retention. It's harder to run the training programs and, and all of those things. And so for me, I think a lot of the people that listen to this are, are out there and they have those smaller fire departments with less calls. And, uh, you know, they have a hard time keeping up with what they're doing. And that might be in communities that are far bigger than yours. And so real challenges, there's real challenges Absolutely. here, right? The the people part is is a real thing. You know, you might end up having to have some firefighters that are just here in the summertime, other firefighters that are here year round, right? I don't even know what that looks like. You know, we've been talking about it for weeks now and I don't think we have an answer, but when we talk about it on here, I mean, hopefully someone reaches out to us and says, hey, try this, did you think about that? There's other resort communities out there. There's other remote locations out there, small communities that are trying to do things and they're making it. Absolutely, and I think, I mean, our business out here is 
built around people being out here, right? So having bodies and personnel out here is a business. And at the end of the day, we're hoping that through those bodies that are out here that there's enough of them that we can pick at least a few capable ones to join and, and kind of help grow what we have, right? So we're just kind of reaching out all the time constantly to, to people and and uh, word of mouth, get it out there. And if you hear of anybody, know of anybody with any kind of interest, we'll at least start there. We won't say no to everybody, but we, we're looking for, you know. Go fishing with free hamburgers. That's all yeah, I exactly. say we got more work done in the fire service with free food. Than if you like fishing or golfing, uh, this is a place, yeah. Yeah, move here. We're, we're looking for volunteer firefighters. <laughs> they might even find a job for you. For you. <laughs> That's right. No kidding, right? So to me, excited to have you in the emergency world, excited to meet you. I, I hope you stick with it. I hope this hat fits, and we kind of keep going with that. But I, we kind of left out the fears part. And so to me, like, what are your, as you work through this process, what are the biggest fears? What are you, you know, what are your biggest challenges? I see the, the rail line coming through. The block and the, the only access to our community is going to be the biggest challenge. And it's a big fear that, yeah, in the event something does happen, we're either stranded here and can't leave. And, uh, and we can't even get around it with, without cutting through the swamp, right? It's floating bog out there that is, uh, it's not like we can just, punch a road through pretty quick and, and have it right and we've made contacts we've made uh, conversations we've got neighboring uh chunks of land on the american side with farmland right right next to that yeah we probably could drive if we had to but then again you know, you're crossing a, an international body of uh water or land and it's uh, into a different country into a different country right yeah, so you're throwing a whole nother wrench into the existing issues that we already have right so we're when we're in Southeast Manitoba, we're actually secluded even more than that. Yeah, that's like literally across the lake is Ontario and down the other way is Minnesota and it's crazy. And I think just to put it in perspective for everyone that's listening, when we talk about swamp, like don't be thinking Northern Alberta, oh, it's a little swampy, here's what we're gonna do. Like they have peat moss farms here. Like they're literally harvesting this swamp yeah. <laughs> and turn it into peat moss and sell it to people. Like Absolutely, yeah, it's floating bog. I've seen tractors fall through that were, were left there abandoned and you know track machines drop through and there's yeah it's kind of it's a unique situation and i remember hearing stories of uh, yeah, a wildfire coming this way through the swamp right to you know heavily dense tree population and luckily they managed to get some equipment farm equipment from my family on the state side uh you know, some of the uncles and neighboring communities, they brought in some machines and just dozed down, you know, fire guard. And uh, if that would have stopped it, I don't know, but luckily the wind turned last minute and, and helped us out, right? But... Uh, Old Mother Nature, she is with you that day. Yeah, right? exactly. She can be angry, but uh, you take the days that you can and work with her as much as possible. It's incredible to even think about, actually, right? As we sit here and we work through all the different disciplines in Fire Smart, and we talk about all the, the different things that Mother Nature can do, whether it's fire, not so much flooding here, which seems weird because it's we're on this massive lake. I think I read somewhere it was like the third biggest lake in Canada. It's large, yeah, it's up there, and yeah, I mean we've had some flooding, but it's not, uh, it's not like it's not like what's happening in BC right now. Yeah, no, exactly, like nothing, that. nothing like that. We've had a couple of close calls and we've had some localized flooding around here with the lake and a lot of it just due to high winds pushing the water up and 
against a bank and over and stuff. So yeah, the cabin we're staying in is only ten feet away from the waves. So yeah, there was water underneath that place at one time, right? <laughs> we we were out sandbagging and diking that up around there and, and trying to protect it. But uh, just another thing to worry about. We didn't put that one on the list. There, <laughs> we'll get you another hat, you your flood hat. You get you one of those rubber ducky hats. There, so. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, like I said, this place was flooded out, you know, hundreds of years ago. Yeah, that's when, true. Yeah. When Hydro came in and started uh, putting up the dams and, uh, you know, regulating the water and stuff, like, this place was flooded out and, and left us abandoned for, from uh, the First Nation perspective, right? So for a long, long time, and that's still something that we're battling is, you know, the, the flood claim and, and all the politics side of stuff. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's possible, right? It's there. You know, we built, built a golf course and opened it up in 2001 and you know, we had high water levels there and they started eroding out half the fairway on number 18 and taking out a big chunk of that. Yeah, the floating... Uh... The island green. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> could have just pushed and worked it over there. All right, so as you progress this along, right, you've had some mentors in your family, you've got some other people you made connections with, and now you're going to have to develop your own group of officers and, and your own firefighters. And so, you know, those important pieces. So as you think about that, right, developing your own team, what are some things that come to mind of how you're going to do that and, and what that's going to look like? I think most of it's going to be looking at the, the personnel that are in, invested into Buffalo Point and understand what the, you know, what we have going on here. And like most of it is going to be employees also that work uh, and, and in a way it's kind of nice to, to be able to say hey there's we have a fire call we drop everything you do it and go but at, at the same time you're now you're the work's not getting done right yeah. and uh, it's not and, the reality <laughs> exactly so trying to juggle that a little bit is is one of the big things the the real volunteer yeah. part of it right whereas uh, I can only come when I can come because yeah. my boss expects me to be ready for whatever else is going on right? yeah and i've never had that luxury you know growing up working from young age and and kind of committing myself then is, is just make yourself available right and never not respond to a call i gotta tell you it's beautiful i love it there's so much going on here and uh you know we talk i guess about the fears we talk about the things that threaten it but we can also talk about the great work that we're seeing right the fire halls getting fixed up the trucks getting redone the the staff's super engaged right they're meeting with us and talking with us uh, we have a later on tonight we're going to meet with a bunch of firefighters that are interested in keeping this thing going and growing this thing and, and making it go forward so i mean i gotta tell you i just nothing but the best i hope that it works out i hope that it's uh that it's awesome here yeah well i'm Glad you're on our in our corner and helping us out with this and like I said, use the resources we have and and you're one of them now, so <laughs> I appreciate it. Appreciate you, man. Drew Thunder, Buffalo Point Fire Service. Uh, things are just gonna go up from here, man. Nothing but the best. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Growing Up Fire today. Follow me on Instagram at Chief Coots to comment or send questions. We appreciate your support.